Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into, tem- into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is the word of the Lord. And with that, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. That is Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. We finished the book of Mark last week. Uh, wow, what a, what a, feels like a great feat, at least for me. It was like six months of just the back half of Mark there, but we made it to the end. And this series is going to go way, way faster. It's only going to be this week and next week. We're going to take just a quick time to pause and, and, and talk about stewardship. Talk about what it means to utilize all the resources that God has entrusted to us and understand that that is what is happening and to do that well. So stewardship is defined as the job of supervising or looking over something that has been entrusted to you. Psalm 24, 1 tells us that the whole earth is the Lord's and all that it contains, which means your money isn't your money and your house isn't really your house and your kids aren't really your kids and your talents aren't your talents, but they are things given to you by the Lord. He has entrusted them to you so that you might steward them for his honor and his glory. That God's normal means of blessing the world is to bless his people and that we would bless others through his blessing. And that's what I want us to see ultimately in the next two weeks is that we are people who have been entrusted with these gifts so that we might be a blessing to other people. And today what I want us to see is that we do this by investing those things in what lasts. So the title of today's sermon is this, to invest in what lasts. And we'll be walking through this passage, Matthew 6, 19 through 24, and talking about what it looks like to invest your life in the things that last and in the things that matter. The things that aren't going anywhere. The things that moth and rust will not destroy, but eternal things instead. So with that, let me read Matthew six nineteen through 24. Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Because no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Or some translations might say mammon, which is an Arabic word that can be understood as money. 
So this is what we want to look at from this passage today, is that God is calling you to invest, and to invest in what lasts. What I want us to see first is that we are to invest in eternity. Jesus starts off there in verses 19 through 20. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So the first thing we see there is this negative command to to not do something. Don't invest in things that moth and rust destroy. At this time, a lot of the ways that you would have investment would either be in like expensive cloth or metal coins. And these kind of things, over time, rust or a moth will get in. That's why you have nasty mothballs, right? And they would eat and tear up your cloth. Or, and those are things that can, can wear from the inside, that the, the things themselves will not hold off. Or there's always the threat, if we invest in earthly things, of someone from outside, like a thief, can come in and steal. What he's saying is that ultimately, earthly treasure is not secure. Earthly treasure can always be lost. Uh, we can think of things like stock market crashes, maybe in our days, because, you know, I don't know. I, I don't even know the last time I paid for something in cash, let alone a coin. I mean, now it's like change. Like, what is this? Right? But, but we know that even in a more digital system, that that isn't uh, secure. It can be stolen. It can be taken away. Currency and economy can come crashing down. These things are not ultimately secure. But Jesus then gives us the positive command, but instead lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. So he is saying if we invest in eternal things, that those things are secure. They're a sure thing, a sure investment. Now what does that mean to lay up for yourself treasure that is in heaven. What does that look like? And it seems to me that the passage is telling us that if we invest in the things of God here, we'll pay dividends for later. When we go into the new kingdom, we are laying up for ourselves treasure that is in heaven, in our future, when we go to be with the Lord. And we've talked about this concept before, but the reality is this, is when we all get to heaven, what a glorious day that will be, to quote an old hymn, what we'll see is that everyone that is there, everybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, will be totally full. The psalmist tells us that at his right hand are pleasures forevermore, that there is fullness of joy. I don't think anybody will get to heaven and think, wow, I think I could still be happier. Everyone will be totally and completely happy. But what I would argue is when we see passages like this, so what does it mean if I do these kind of earthly things on earth now to invest in my eternity, somehow I'm laying up treasure for myself, I would argue that you are laying up the ability to have a greater fullness, a greater capacity for joy. Because God's joy is eternal. You cannot exhaust it but our capacity to fill that at some point is full. I would maybe explain it like this. My eight-month-old son, Simon, actually nine months old, wow, time is flying. Simon, his fullness is a lot different than mine, right? He is happy with a couple blueberries, pieces of apple, and a bottle of milk, and he is full. I need a double bacon cheeseburger, (laughs) all right? I'm not full with a couple blueberries and a bottle of milk, triple. Kendall needs triple, right? 
And as we talk about that, while we talk about heaven, we'll get there and you'll be totally full. There's no happiness that you'll think like, man, I think I could be, like, it won't work like that. But I still think we would all say, what do I want? I want the double bacon cheeseburger of happiness, right? I want as full of capacity as I can. What I'm trying to argue is this, is that justification by faith, putting your faith in Jesus, seals you, guarantees you for the eternal kingdom. You will go, and and because of Christ's atoning work on the cross, you will experience the fullness of joy for all of eternity. Guaranteed, nothing will stop that from happening. But your good works as a Christian, investing yourself in the Lord, I believe prepares your soul to experience God to a greater fullness. What I'm saying is not that his joy expands, it's eternal. Your capacity to experience that joy is what seems to expand. That's the best I can understand these texts to mean so that good works here are preparing eternal rewards while also knowing that none of it is gained by our own works. Entrance into the kingdom of God is through Christ and Christ alone. But as we walk and are sanctified in this life or become more like Jesus, more holy, we prepare our souls to one day experience the fullness of Christ. And in that, we see this principle that if we invest in the kingdom of God, we have a guaranteed return in that investment. That we invest in the things of God. God is promising that we will lay up our treasures in heaven and nothing, whether inside or outside, will diminish or take away that treasure. Now, I think as we look at this and we think, well, if that's the truth, and I can just like, whatever I invest here on earth is just going to pay out dividends no matter what guaranteed now, then, then the answer should be, I should try to invest as much as possible into the kingdom of God right here and right now. And to which I would say, yes, that's, that's the answer. I know everybody wants, how much should I give? We'll talk about that maybe a little more next week, but you're not going to like the answer. There's, it's not easy. It's, not a, it's, it's more of a heart thing than a number thing. And, and this is what we want to see, though, is at the same time, like, yeah, that's the answer. Invest in much as you possibly can. The problem with that, if you're like me, is I think that's super vague. What is as much as I possibly can? Should I have a savings account? Should I save for retirement? Should I get that Starbucks coffee that I want? What about, what if I want a new TV? Is that wrong? Is it okay? Like, when is it okay to make these decisions? What are we And I don't know. Honestly, you're going to have to make that decision for yourself. But I do want to give you some biblical principles that I think can help us in those decisions so that we are saying, I want to invest as much as I can in the kingdom of God right here and right now, but I want to do that in a wise kind of way. And so the first thing I want us to see is the goal. And I want us to look at two passages of Scripture. One is 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12. It says, Aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. I believe God's financial plan for your life. Now, we don't like to talk about this because honestly, it's pretty ordinary, right? God's financial plan for your life is to work in such a way, to have a job, and to live in such a way that you aren't dependent on other people for your basic needs. That's God's financial plan for your life that you would be able to provide for you and your family in such a way that your basic needs are cared for. And what we see consistently throughout the scripture, whether the scripture reading we had, whether it's Matthew 6, if you keep reading, it's clothing and it's food. 
A lot more than most, it's a lot less than most of us in this room have. What Jesus promises in the next half of Matthew 6 is that you'll always be fed and you'll always be clothed. And then he says, seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added to you. And it's not this promise of like, if I just like pay money or sow that seed into this thing, then I'm gonna get this huge financial blessing. The promise is God is not gonna let you go unclothed and God is not gonna let you go hungry. That's what he is saying. If you set your mind to follow him and to work hard, your basic needs will be met. And I believe you can take that one to the bank. The Lord is going to care for you and your family in that kind of way. The hard thing is the American psyche says, all the things that I need is a, is a house with two and a, half bedroom, or two and a half bathrooms. I just bought one. I know, right? Because I thought I needed that, right? You don't need that, but is it wrong that I bought it? It depends. What's the rest of your financial situation? What do these other things look like? If I do that, am I going to be extremely dependent on other people? I don't believe so. That's why we bought it. Am I going to be able to pay my debts on time? Can I pay that thing so that I might walk properly towards outsiders? Christians cannot be people who are late on the bills. When we're late on the bill, that does not look good to the outside world. It hurts your witness towards Christ. I think that's what he's saying. We pay our bills on time. We're not dependent on other people. With the decisions that we're making, Proverbs 30, 7 through 9, this is the other one, says, two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying, and listen, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. The writer of that proverb is just asking for enough. I want enough so that I'm not tempted to steal, that I don't have to depend on other people. But I don't want to be so rich that I forget that I forget where blessing comes from, that I know what the Lord would have us do. And so here's what I'm trying to suggest to you, is I believe what God desires for your life, for Matthew 6, to lay up treasures in heaven, is to see your needs be met and then see you be generous. That you would look and you would order your life in that kind of way. I want to glorify God. That means I'm going to pay my bills on time. It means I'm going to live within my means. If I can't afford that new car, I'm not going to buy the new car just because I want it. But rather, I'm going to do that so that there's enough left over so I can do some things with my life like be generous, like give to my local church. Do I think it's wrong to have a savings account? No. I would argue a savings account is a way that you are dependent on no one. My pl- I have lived in this house for two weeks. I needed to call a plumber already, which is stupid expensive. Someone, more people should be plumbers. Let me tell you, that guy was in my house for like an hour and I paid him like a lot of money, right? I, you have to do these things. These are normal things. My, it was my main water line. I can't just not have that. If we don't have the savings account, what do we do? But we have that. God's been good to us. We can be dependent on no one and and go and take care of these normal, ordinary means. I don't think it's wrong to have some money stashed away. But should you hoard it all so that your security is in it? 
I only feel safe if there's this much money in the savings account. Or your identity is in it. Oh, now I feel good about myself because I've, I'm a good wage earner. Or do we find security in the Lord? And do we find identity in Christ? And that's what I believe God is calling you to do. So what happens if you're able to do that? You're able to give a proportional income to your church. You're able to save some money on the side and you still got a little left over. What do you do? Well, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 says this. And as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus... I think he is alluding back to this teaching that he, I believe, would have been aware of that we're reading in Matthew 6, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. I don't think he's talking about his personal future. He's talking about his eternal personal future so that you may take hold of that which is truly life. What is truly life? It's not possession. It's not things. It's not stuff. It's living a life that honors the Lord. So he's saying to those who are giving and generous to the church, who are saving and have a little extra and who are caring for all their needs and you still find yourself, God has blessed you and that has happened. What should you do? I think you should seek ways to use that money to be an abundant blessing to others. If you start to find yourself in that situation, I pray that God would give us people like this in our church because we need people like this and we also need people who are impoverished. We need people who, are, who, who, who don't have money as well. That's actually a part of God's plan for the church, that both rich and poor are a place that come together and the, the, length, the playing field is laid low. The, it's different than the culture. It's radically different. That we don't show partiality to one or the other. But for those of you who maybe find yourself in that situation, I want to encourage you, what does it look like to utilize your wealth to increase the wealth of other people? And I don't mean just writing a check. Like, what does it look like to invest in things that produce income and jobs for other people? What does it look like to invest in things that produce more church plants, more missionaries overseas, more things, and and to be wise and a good steward with that income? There is amazing things happening in this world that God wants to use resources for. Amazing. And I want to encourage us that should the Lord put you in that place, that you recognize that that is from the Lord, that we're not haughty, and we know that God has entrusted that to us so that we might be a blessing to other people. That's what we want to see happen, is that we are laying up treasure in heaven, not for here, but that, so that we are laying up that which is for the future, and that that is the way that God would want us to invest. Secondly, I believe we want God, in verse 21, he wants us to invest in our heart. Verse 21 says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I believe this is going in both ways. Your treasure follows your heart, and your heart follows your treasure. These things come together. It's, it's kind of like a, a cycle, if you will. Your treasure follows your heart, and your heart follows your treasure. Another way to think about this would be that the Treasure is both a mirror and a magnet for the heart. Proverbs twenty-seven nineteen says, As in water, face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects the man. 
The heart is like, or excuse me, the treasure is like a mirror of our heart. It shows us what we truly value and what we truly love. Where do you invest your money? If you were to go through this last month of bills, where would you see what's valuable to me? It's going to put that on display because where you put your treasure, where you put your time, where you put your energy, put your money is showing this is what I must consider valuable because it's where I'm investing. And it's a mirror for us. It shows us this is what I truly love. The question is, when we look into that mirror, do we see Christ? Is it mirror, mirror on the wall? Show me what do I love most of all? That's what your treasure will do. If you go through the bank statements of this year, if you take just a moment to look through those things, it will show us where am I investing? It will show us what does my heart treasure and what do I love? But the heart, or excuse me, or the treasure is also like a mirror for the heart, or excuse me, a magnet for the heart. It is like a magnet in that wherever that treasure gets put, it will inevitably pull your heart to it your love and your affection will follow what you invest in. That's why it's such a dangerous thing. That's why money is such a dangerous thing or such a really good thing. Because when we invest in things that are not godly, don't honor him, inevitably we'll actually fall more and more in love with those things. If If we put our heart in our savings account... That's where we find that self-security, that, that self-identity, that self-nishness and all will get pulled further and further into that love, that self-love. You start putting more and more money in your home like I am, you'll start to find more and more pride in that home. Now, there's nothing wrong with taking care of your things. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to give you a gauge. I'm trying to help you think through how can I make these wisdom-based situational decisions? And how I want you to think through that is to remember and remind yourself, hey, our investments are a mirror. They're showing us what we love and value right now, and we want to value Christ. So what does it look like for this year for my family to intentionally invest more in the kingdom of God so that our hearts will be pulled more to Christ. That's what I'm trying to, 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 to help you see. So what we need to do, I think, with this reality is, one, we need to know what our false loves are. What are those things that show up in the mirror that aren't Jesus? Is it clothing and identity and the way that I look or the way that other people look at me? Or is it the home? Or is it the, the security in the bank account? And call it out as a false God and know this will never be a good enough God. Think through the things and passages that I talked through before and then make the decision to say, where can I invest in my true love? And my true love is Christ. How can I invest more in the things of God and, and, and see my heart be pulled towards those things more. Because so a church that does that is a church that God will use in an amazing and beautiful way because it won't just be about the money. It'll be about our hearts. It'll be the fact that we will increase in our love of Christ. The theme that links the heart of man to the wealth of man continues as we learn to invest in others. Verse 22 and 23, it says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, 
Your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, the eye is what makes it possible for anybody to see. It's the only way that our body takes in light in that kind of way. And your whole body is, is negatively impacted if your eyes are unhealthy and unable to see, right? Your shins are going to get knocked up because you can't see anything. The rest of your body is going to be negatively impacted by this reality. But it's also not just impacting you on a personal level. I think it's also impacting the world corporately. So if our eye isn't right, meaning we don't see the world rightly, the way that God would have us see the world, if we don't behold and love the things that God would have us love, if the thing that doesn't catch your eye is Jesus, you will be drawn towards a darkness, a darkness against your own soul. But if God's normal means of blessing the world, which is what I said about before, is that through us to bless the world, then how great is the darkness? If Christians are not willing to lay, a lot, lay aside self-indulgence and pleasure in our own desires so that we might be a blessing to the world, then who is going to do it? If the light in you, now see, that's where I'm trying to get this invest in others piece of this passage. If the light in you is darkness, he's talking to those who follow Jesus, how great is the darkness? If the light in you as a Christian is darkness, if you aren't generous, then who will be generous? Who will experiencing the blessings of God if we aren't that instrument? It's like the throne diagram that we have seen over and over and over again. As we see there, and it should be up on the screen, I believe, at the top of that throne sits our heart and there are all these other things, and money is an example of one of those things that can creep up the throne. It's not necessarily inherently bad in and of itself. It's the desire of money. But it creeps up on the throne, it sits on the throne, and it rules over us. And then all of our decisions are impacted by that false idol. Rather than letting Jesus sit on the top of the throne, and Jesus change us and help us interpret the world and see rightly and be full of right and then make these wisdom-based decisions. Christ has to sit on the throne of your heart. If your eye is bad, then the light in you is darkness. Oh, how great is that darkness? That's what we have to see here. But the question then becomes, so what does this look like in my life? What does this look like for me? 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength of God that supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And what I'm trying to do is hone in there on verse 10. That everybody who has received a gift use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now, this is obviously talking about more than just money in 1 Peter 4. He's talking about spiritual gifts or abilities and, and stewardship in general. Should We can talk about those things. That can apply to this point as well. But as we have all received a gift, we are to use it to serve one another. And in doing that, we are good stewards of God's varied grace. 
is just recognizing that not everybody is blessed in the same kind of way. That's even true financially. God has not blessed everyone in the room in the same kind of way. And that is ultimately up to the Lord. There's a lot of factors that can play into our financial well-being, but ultimately we as Christians want to say, God's in control of that, who he blesses with income and who he does not. But what God has said is for each of us that he has given a gift to, he is saying it's your responsibility to serve one another and that's how it means to be a good steward of God's varied grace. See, that's why we do things, even though I almost cut it off today, as ironically that it is, like pass a plate during our offering. I know that's an old school thing to do. Young pastors like me don't do that. We just put stuff in the back so people can discreetly give, and it doesn't make anything awkward for anybody. It's not about making things awkward. It's about calling out and openly celebrating that everybody in the family of God has something to give. We pass the plate through everyone because we are saying every single gift matters. We're saying you matter, even if you are struggling financially and you feel like your gift is too small. That is Satan. No gift is too small. That's untrue. As if God is sitting back here thinking, you know what I really want them to do right now? I want them to contribute. Psalm fifty twelve tells us, God asked the question, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. We don't pass this plate because God needs you. If you don't step up and contribute, he won't provide for his church. Pass the plate because it's a celebration that we get to do this, that as stewards of God's varied grace, we're giving, and what we have been given whether large or small, we are saying, it's yours, Lord Jesus. This is a worshipful moment. If you're like me and you give online, don't space out during that time. Pray. You need to pray and thank God for the way that he's provided for you in your life. You need to worship him. Lord, thank you that I know that, that that's coming out of the bank account. Most of the time it doesn't even happen on Sundays for me because it happens on a day of the month. That's okay. But when we come here, I'm praying and I'm worshiping the Lord in that moment as we pass that plate. And we do that all together because that's the call, is that everyone comes and gives as they are able. I want to encourage you to give something. We all have varied grace, and we're going to trust that to the Lord. But I do believe God is calling every Christian to give out of their increase, as Proverbs would tell us, to give that widow's might, as we see in Mark 12. And Jesus calls her out and says, look at this woman. Like, that is amazing. Do you think the temple is getting rebuilt because of her gift? But when Jesus looks at it, he says, this is beautiful. This, this is what it looks like to give. Because she is given out of everything that she has. She cast her two little pennies, as small as it can be, into those offering plates. That's what God is calling us to do. He is calling everybody to give because he is saying everybody is valuable no matter what you bring. And everybody is hurt when we, all, when we fail to give. If we expand this beyond money, don't let the enemy tell you you're not good enough to participate here. You're not good enough. I'm not outgoing enough to be a part of that thing. I'm not great enough with kids to do this thing. I'm not 
Don't let that happen. That, that self-deprecation that the enemy uses to keep you from being that good steward. The enemy speaks that into you. And he's saying, you're not good enough. You're not good enough. It's not true. Christ makes us good enough in the cross. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, so come and be a steward according to the God gift that God has given you. You worship the Lord when you use your gifts and serve our church. You are reflecting back to God. God, you made me fearfully, wonderfully. You put my life story together, including all my baggage. And I can come and I can serve here. And my contribution matters because God makes it matter. See, we want to invest in others in our churches. Because ultimately, investing in others results in a worship that honors God and brings us to our final point this morning is that we want to invest in our relationship with God. Verse 24. Now, no one can serve two masters, for he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. God demands complete and total surrender of every Christian. God demands to be our God. He wants to rule your entire life. Why do I talk about money? Because money is just a piece of it. Everything is his. God is saying, I want every single part of you. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. You're saying he is my Lord, he is my master. I am submitting myself to him and I will serve him. And God is saying, you cannot serve me the way I want to be served, the way that I deserve to be served if you're serving a different master on the side. He's saying you can only have one true master. You can have only one true king. And it has to be him. You cannot serve God and money. You'll either love the one and hate the other, you'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. If we allow money to be the thing that we serve rather than making money the thing that serves Christ, inevitably it will bring us away from Christ. He is saying if you serve a false God, you'll end up worshiping that false God. And this is something that we should be afraid of. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. is our scripture reading this morning, but listen. But godliness with contentment is great gain. If we could just get that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Listen to the warning. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. 
desire for riches, desire for wealth, the longing to be rich, it's dangerous. It's very, very dangerous. We bought the new house, and I was driving on the phone. My dad remodels houses, and so my whole life we've like always remodeled houses. Our, our own house is always very nice because my dad is able to do that really efficiently, and I'm calling my dad, and we're dreaming about all the things. You know, we're going to come. He's going to come, and we're going to build all these things and do the stuff at the house, right? And we're driving, we're driving so much, and I get so enthralled in talking to my dad on the phone, I miss the Hilliard exit, which, by the way, huge mistake. There are no exits between Hilliard and West Jefferson. So now I'm going to West Jefferson to turn around. I'm talking about this so much, and I pull into the, into the gas station and, and get gas in West Jeff because now I've run out of gas because I have to drive so stinking far. And in my mind, in this moment, knowing that this house thing has happened, that verse came through my mind, this verse, verse 24. You cannot love God and money. You cannot love God and money. Man, I, 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 we were shopping for so long. This housing market is just so crazy. <clears throat> we finally got one, and before I even got in it, I wanted more. Oh, I just wish I had this. Oh, I wish I just had that. Oh, I'm going to do this to it, because I want it to be like, you're never going to be satisfied. That's the lie and the allure of materials and possessions. You know what you'll always want? More. And listen, that's true whether you're rich or whether you're poor. People who serve money have one thing in common. doesn't matter how much they have. They always want more. You might be struggling with money. Finances are poor. Listen, be wary you're in, a, you're in a tempting spot because it is hard to believe a lie. And that lie is if we just had a little more money, then we would be happy. Then the stress would go away. Then we'll have peace. It's not true. I've known people with money who never learned that. And guess what? They get money and they just want more. It never goes away. You cannot serve both God and money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Because it never satisfies. It never satisfies. You'll just want to drink more and more and more, but Christ has the living water. Jesus does satisfy. Helen Lamel got it right when she wrote the hymn, Turn Your Eyes on Jesus, and she wrote these lyrics. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. In the things of earth, will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. As you increase in your love of God and you invest in things that will, that will bring about a deeper love of Christ, because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. As you follow that and you do that, the things of earth will grow strangely dim you will start finding less and less appeal, less and less joy from the things of this world. And you'll remember and you'll actually live like First Timothy 6. You will see the truth that this stuff, it's just, we, we didn't bring anything into the world and it ain't coming with us. You'll see Second Peter and you'll remember God promised that everything is gonna burn away. 
all this stuff that I find joy and pleasure in, gone. But there's things that will last forever. The new kingdom, the new heaven, the new earth, your relationship with Christ, the love you pour into other people, that treasure you lay up in heaven, it's going to be there, guaranteed. Nothing's taking it away, ever, ever. So invest in the things that last. Experience the joy of Christ. Invest not to pay off God or make him happy. He doesn't need your money. Invest because you love him. Because you find the, the reality that when you drink from his well, you are satisfied. And when you go to everything else, you'll be always thirsty again. So may the things of earth go strangely dim in the light of his glory and of his grace. I'm going to challenge you, particularly, particularly those of you who are members of Redemption Hill Church. I've got three challenges, and this is what I'll conclude with this morning. So here's something I'll challenge you to do in the next two weeks. Um, well, my, the plan is to give these exact same challenges next week as well. Number one, Pray and ask the Lord what he would like you to give this year to Redemption Hill Church. We're not going to ask for it. We're not going to ask you to like write it down or give a pledge. This is between you and your own heart. If you're married, it's between you and your spouse. You need to pray and ask, what would the Lord have us give this year? Pray. Should it increase? We'll talk about next week, just for the record, 10%. It's not a cap, just saying. But pray and ask the Lord. What would he have you give this year to Redemption Hill Church? Seek him. Two, seek some godly accountability in this area. When we meet with the leadership team that keeps me accountable, there are things that we talk about. Finances are one of those things. Finances are one of the things that I confess and talk about with them. Uh, I will tell you this. I will not be this person for you for obvious, very awkward reasons, right? It'd be weird if I'm the one who knows what you give. I don't want to know what you give. I have zero desire to know what any of you give. I don't know that. That's why we have a treasurer. Um, it's just too weird for me to be up here and to preach and to lead the church to do that. So I won't be that person for you, but I do think this is something that often, uh, particularly in American culture, we just never talk about with anybody else. We only try to figure out money stuff all on our own. And I don't think you should share it with your entire community group. But, a, but an honest conversation with another Christian uh, whose confidence you trust, who's not going to go tell a bunch of other people, I, I want to encourage you to do that. I do want to encourage you to do that. Maybe it's somebody who's not even a part of our church. Maybe you have another Christian uh, who's a part of another church, and this is somewhere you guys can hold one another accountable because I think the opposite extreme is also dangerous, and the opposite extreme being nobody knows what I do with my money at all. Um, that's, that's dangerous. I, I would encourage you that, that you would seek some loving accountability in this area and say, this is what I believe the Lord is calling me to give. When things get hard this year, will you hold me to it? Will I give this gift by faith when things are a little rocky? When the holidays come, and I don't want to give as much this year because I want to buy this, you know, because my kid needs a PlayStation 700 instead of the, you know, right? Hey, you see it happens. Go on vacation in the summertime, miss a week. The giving somehow goes down in the summertime, all right? I mean, I just get some accountability. Someone who's going to love you. And the final thing is this. Give joyfully on a regular basis with an eternal mindset. This is something we do as a family. And, I, and I, my prayer is that everyone in our church gives something. 
It's according to God's varied grace. It will be different. People will give differently. But it is, it is my prayer as your pastor for your blessing, for your eternal reward, because I know it will draw you closer into relationship with Jesus. I know it will. It does in my life personally, I promise you. I once had a friend ask, do pastors give too? Like, yeah. <laughs> I guess they think, I don't know why they ask that question. Yes, me and my family give. We're not here. Um, we, and we give here to Redemption Hill and we give other places as well. So I, I, I want to encourage you to give. And we do that because we love God and we know God loves cheerful givers. And that's my, that's my encouragement to you this morning. Well, with that, let me pray for us. <sighs> Father God, I, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you that I don't have to come up and talk about things like money all by myself. But God, that your spirit inspired men to write a perfect Bible and that you wrote to our hearts into things like money. God, I, I, you know my heart and I pray these people know my heart that I am not praying and asking them to give to Redemption Hill for any kind of personal benefit. But God, I, I pray these things for their benefit as my sheep, as people that I love. I pray that they would see that they are are going to reap into eternity. And as we'll talk about next week, that God will not be mocked and they will reap what they have sown. God, that they will sow into the kingdom of God and because of that, they will reap eternal rewards that are just gonna be amazing and unimaginable. Lord, just the reality that you are gonna, you're gonna bless us one day in your new kingdom. God, in a place where, where streets are made of gold, and I think that's God not to just to show us how amazing that place is, but how ordinary and dim the things of earth will become. That precious things like gold will walk on it. Because compared to Jesus, it'll be like nothing. Lord, I just pray that you would help us treasure Jesus that you would help us treasure the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that we would see like the kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field that when a man found it, he went and sold everything he had so that he might go back and purchase that field. Lord, that we would want to give as much as we possibly can to the things of the kingdom. That we'd be wise with our money, that we would never be late on our bills, that we would strive to look good to the outside world, that we would be indebted to no one, that we would owe nothing except for love. Help us be that people, God. Not just for financial peace, but God, for peace with you. And that you would use us and use your church to see many sons and daughters come to glory. God, help us as leaders of this church steward the resources faithfully. And Lord, we pray that you might bless it. Bless the things that we spend our money on so that they would multiply into the kingdom of God. We ask this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.